if, if you hear me listening to Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots, like, check in with me. <laughs> something is... Nick, how's the marriage going? <laughs> something is skewed. <laughs> This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Fasolo and Kirik McMillan. Hello again and welcome to another episode of Two Idiots and a List. I am here with a man who eats things that would make a billy goat puke. <laughs> Nick Fasolo. Kill. Period. Win by attrition. <laughs> Fucking make me laugh every time you I love say that. that. I can do the whole goddamn thing. If we have time for it, maybe we'll do it later. <laughs> I say that because my son and I just watched First Blood. Great movie. <laughs> I think it might have been the first time I've ever seen that all the way through. I've seen like dribs and drabs. I'm not sure how. Yeah. You just pick it up and you're like, oh, it's about to grab the, the, the motorbike and ride up into the mountains. <laughs> Yeah. Great stunt work. Oh, it's, it is. It's awesome. It is. I think a fuck if they like, yeah, for sure that's not Rambo on the bike. We're just going to go with it. <laughs> right. The speech from Richard Crenna that you always recite it's kills the me. The, the end, you know, the weepy soliloquy from Stallone, that's where it gets a little thin. I tune out after that. Yeah. Yeah. He asked me to drive my Chevy and I said, I can't find his fucking legs. I can't find his fucking legs. <laughs> I want to drive my Chevy. I said, well, what? I can't find your fucking legs. I can't find your legs. Well, listen, we were still wrestling with the uh, the aftermath of world of Vietnam. <laughs> Didn't quite know how to treat right. the subject matter. Do you know there was a rat herder in the credits? Well, that makes rat sense. Rat herder. Yeah. Think about that on your business yeah. card. No shit. Right? Women would be killing That's each other a, to get to you. Quite an IMD, IMBD. <laughs> a little quick business to attend to before we begin. Uh, we'd like to extend a warm welcome to the Czech Republic, Ghana, and Nepal. Nepal? Nepal. I did not see that. Yeah, Nepal. Kathmandu? Just came in. I didn't see where it was. I just noticed it was Nepal. It's the only city I know. You think we're going to become a social sensation with the Nepalese? Because <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Also, would like to give a quick shout out to our Minnesota idiot, Brian the Hammer, since he shared our police episode on social media and he didn't even request it. Finally, a quick correction from our last episode for any of you who may be fact-checking us. The first song from the police to win a Grammy was Regatta de Blanc, not Behind My Camel. Behind My Camel was their second Grammy win. Just thought I'd nip that in the bud before anyone gets a bee in their bonnet. Read the title of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's not two experts in a list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today we are talking about a grunge band, or is it an alternative metal band, or an indie band? Well, either way, up next, Stone Temple Pilots.
So that begs the question, what kind of band is this? Well, they took a lot of shit. They did. A, a lot of shit. They did. For being like, you know, a Late to the game. Late yeah, to the game. late to the game. Bullshit. I call it bullshit. I agree. They were recording Core in December of 91. I believe you're right. It came when, out in 92. Right. When when 10 and Nirvana, they, they had just released those albums. Right. They also shared the same producer as Pearl Jam. So it's like, I call bullshit um, just because his voice sounded the same. Now, I agree. Like, if you were to take, like, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, a little bit of David Bowie, and, like, Nine Inch Nails and kind of throw them into a pot and stir them up, mm-hmm. you'd get something that sounds a little like Stone Temple Pilots. I agree, but I think they were original in their own sense. Oh, yeah. It's a unique sound. Yes. And, and maybe they got some wind in their sails from the, you know, what was happening with the grunge movement. They definitely drafted off of that success, but who didn't? Right. And you and know? maybe they took some influence from those bands. Yeah. But I think calling these guys a Pearl Jam knockoff does them a tremendous disservice. Well, even so, even, uh, uh, you know, David Frick, the, uh, the, the, you know, the golden child of Rob, Rolling Stone, had said like he had made the first you know I think he did the re- the the, um, the review of Core and he said basically what you had said it's like yeah these guys are just a knockoff of Stone Temple or of uh, Pearl Jam and really pay them no much mind and then years later then he wrote about like how he actually toured with the band for a couple of weeks and got to know the guys and actually for, admittedly for the first time listened to the whole album and he's like this is the first time I'm ever going to do this I retract the things that I said about Stone Temple Pilots that's fair they are they are tight band and they are way different than the other bands that I compared them to. That first album was awesome. Fucking awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. So Stone Temple Pilots is one of those bands that I got in on the ground floor with. Smashing Pumpkins, I got in on Gish. Yeah. Everybody got into Pearl Jam on 10, so that's not exactly unique. But I think that that was like when Pearl Jam and Nirvana happened in 91, this is why it's so like seminal for us is because like that, then you're like, oh shit, okay, there's new shit out there. There's no, there's new good shit out there. Let's, let's, whatever's coming out now, that's got a new band name. Let's have a look. You know, Stone Temple Pilots came out with Core, and we're like, okay, this is, this is a winner here. Yeah, I, that's what I thought. Anyhow, well, I've I always think, been a big fan of theirs. I think you're, I think you're right. That that Core album just struck me mm-hmm. right off the bat. Oh, right off the bat, the very yeah. first seconds. Like I told mm-hmm. you before, I'm a sucker for a micro a megaphone. <laughs> he uses the bullhorn a lot, and he starts off with it, yeah. with dead and loaded. Yes, and then it comes in with like this this tidal wave of guitars, and that's the real secret sauce of Stone Temple Pilots. I agree. Dean DeLeo's guitar work is masterful, and Robert DeLeo yes. is right behind him. If you compare the bassist from Alice in Chains, Mike Starr, you've got Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam, you've got Novacellic from Nirvana. They're pretty basic bassists. This guy is working it. And he's a writer. Yeah. Robert DeLeo. Yeah. The, the, I, the brothers are really the backbone of this. And that know. drummer's no slouch either. No, he's not. He's got to keep up with, with all of them. And then, of course, you've got Scott Weiland, who is a great front man. Yeah. One of the best, better, more charismatic front mans. Yes, Lane Staley was a compelling front man. But, you know, that was for different reasons. Wyland is, you know, he's got this shaman ritual he does. He's, oh, all, he's very wiggly on stage. He was phenomenal live. I, I love saw him. them, oh, I don't know, it was eight or ten years ago. They played Northerly Island here in Chicago. Right. And it was unbelievable. Like, he was really, really good. Real dynamic. For a guy that's had the issues he's had, he didn't seem like somebody that was, you know, 
He wasn't Jerry Garcia, who really didn't move very much when he played. <laughs> Jerry Garcia also weighed about 200 pounds more than Scott Weiland. Yeah, different drugs. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, Actually, no. <laughs> they were both heroin addicts. Oh, yeah. Billy Corgan said, Weiland, Lane Staley, and Kurt Cobain were the greatest voices of our generation. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. Especially in that early 90s segment, in that vein, those three guys, you didn't get much better than them. Yeah, as we said on the Allison Chains podcast, I mean, like those guys were, we rode or died with those boys. But Stone Temple Pilots was like, ran a close second for me. Yeah. I mean, I'd always kind of respected Nirvana, but I didn't kind of get in utero. Whenever Stone Temple Pilots would drop a new album, I would always be a fan of theirs. And Purple for me was was an album that when it dropped in 94, it was like the beginning of summer of 94. And I was painting houses at the time. and I <laughs> Nothing listened. else to do but listen to music all day. That's all we did. And right. we had one of those shitty three CD disc changers. Yeah. <laughs> and in that three CD disc changers on my end of the house was Purple, the, uh, the, the Black Crow's second album, The Southern Harmony. Sure. And then... Uh, I don't I forget the other one, but I listened to the album probably three times a day. Yeah. Every day. And I just it I loved it. Yeah. It was great. Purple was a fucking great album. Yeah. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots was popular with fans, but not with critics. And again, we come back to Rolling Stone being who Rolling Stone is. The the band was simultaneously voted in a ninety-four Rolling Stone poll. Simultaneously voted best new band by the readers and worst new band by the magazine's critics. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> what the I fuck? Have, I have another Greg Cott hot take from our uh, Chicago <laughs> Tribune. So gotcha. here's, sure. here's here's our guy, Craig Cott, from the Chicago Tribune. This guy, I always knew he was full of shit. I never liked him. He had a radio show that he would do, uh, you know, in com- I remember like that. a companion piece yeah. to his... He, he never was right about anything. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, he says about Purple, after a few listens... Super producer Brian, uh, Brendan O'Brien can no longer camouflage the band's mediocre rhythm section and recycled grunge chords. That's that ludicrous. Yeah, he's a fucking idiot. It's ludicrous. He didn't know what he was listening to. Unbelievable. <laughs> and here's Entertainment Weekly's review of Purple Was Worse, accusing them of ripping off Pearl Jam, R.E.M., Soundgarden, Lou Reed, and comparing the, comparing a young band to so many others is a cheap shot, but it's warranted. <laughs> and to, to that, I would say it's like, if you're a band... And you're like, you had Core as your first album and your second album, like, oh, let's rip off all these other great bands. Like, that seems like a lot of work. Yeah. Like, more work than just coming up with your own shit, which right. is undoubtedly that's what they did. Yeah. But a word on their producer, like, he's everywhere. Pearl Jam, all Pearl Jam's albums, all the Black Crow's albums, Temple of the Dog, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sex Sugar Magic. He did all the Soundgarden. He did Neil Young's Mirror Ball. He did Rage Against the Machine's Evil, uh, Evil Empire and Battle for Los Angeles. I mean, the guy. So, yeah, they right. did sound alike. Sure. Like, that's the producer working. And I don't think they really sounded that much alike. I, when I listen to especially Core, although if you go from Core to Purple to Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop, and this is another a bonus of Stone Temple Pilots. This is not a one-trick pony. Uh, no, no, no. You know, no co- core is almost all grunge, and then you start to diverge you know, into other areas exactly. as they move out of that album. and Which is why I like Purple so much, because its core is a great, heavy rock album. Purple was like, you think that we're a grunge band? Try this on for size. And it was awesome. Right. Every single song on that album is awesome, and it's different. And I think that you were trying to define earlier on, like, well, where, where do we put these guys? What they had and the other bands did not have was 
Wyland's essence of glam rock, mm-hmm. and he brought it. And it, like his his avatar was David Bowie. Like yes. that was his guy. And you can hear it throughout his catalog. Yeah. Various pieces of it. The way and you see it. The way he moves. Mm-hmm. The way he dressed. His artistry. His on artistry. Stage. Yeah. 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 And the, draws a lot from, the, from Bowie. The glam rock essence that he brings and and adds into the grunge or heavy metal, whatever they were playing adds so much more and makes them such a unique band. Right. This is not Limp Biscuit. This is not better than Ezra, okay? <laughs> They're not just these one-offs that were like, yeah, you got a couple of hits off of one album. They're not Candlebox. They're they're a good goddamn band, and they're unfortunately, I think, again, as the story goes, they were derailed by some really bad demons yes. in their front yeah. Wyland was the baby that Bowie and Jim Morrison had. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. These guys sold over 40 million albums. Wow, that's a lot. It is. Now, when you think about it, though, Tom Petty sold twice as many. Yeah, but... <laughs> twice but, as many albums out of that guy. I know, I know, but that's not a crazy thing. Everybody fucking buys Tom Petty shit. I didn't buy any Tom Petty shit. I didn't. Shit. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> but, I mean, it's not crazy because he's, like, in the lexicon of American music, where I don't think Stone Temple Pilots is. There's I agree. A They're of, a little more niche than Tom Petty. Who, yeah, there's maybe one song broke out as, like, everybody knows that, right. everybody likes that, but I think that, like, Tom Petty's got, a, you know, two handfuls of those fucking songs. Yes, like, absolutely. They're good or bad, but right. <laughs> listen to the Tom Petty. <laughs> yeah, listen to the Tom Petty episode. <laughs> episode to find out We lifted him high. <laughs> <laughs> I dug up some some buttes of Scott Weiland. Like, did you see his Christmas shit? No, mm. <laughs> no, I didn't. Mm. Well, he redid "I'll Be Home for Christmas," which is my favorite Christmas song of all time, <laughs> and it was bizarre. I'll be home for Christmas. Was it any more bizarre than the Smashing Pumpkins Christmas song? That's a great fucking song. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) That was a weird song. It's a great song. (laughs) When I I looped that in to play it in our track, I was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Oh, shit. My wife was wondering why I was laughing out loud again, because I usually am. All right. Why don't we get this underway? I think this is your week, so why don't you kick (laughs) us off? Are we doing okay? We're doing honorable mentions. That's correct. All right, I, I stuck with the honorable men. I, I stuck with the list as as a purest STP list as I can. I know that I thought that we do. We agreed that we could dip into whatever he was yeah. recording on. It's uh-huh. fine. That's fine. But I I stick stuck with the the list as all STP except for my honorable mention, the uh, Velvet Revolver song, "Fall to Pieces." Love this tune. Great. I just love Slash's guitar. His I, sound is awesome. I listened, because they had two albums. Yes. And I listened to both of those prepping for this, and I was like, oh, 
Oh, listen to that. Mm-hmm. You've got Wyland's lyrics, and you're thinking, okay, this sounds kind of like STP, and I've been listening to all STP up until that point. And I flip on Velvet Revolver, and, and you get Wyland going. You're like, okay, it's you know pretty similar vein. Sounds good. It's, you know, it's good stuff. And sure. then you come to the solo, and it was like, a whiplash throwback to like 1986 or yeah. 88 or whatever you know appetite came out it was like oh yeah the guitar tone is singular man you know who it is and yeah. it's, and he's so great and it's that that's a great track too it's it's uh, you know that's very much like i had the same kind of feeling when we were going through this material that we i did with Allison change it's a bummer it's all the bummer like his yeah. lyrics are bummer fucking lyrics yes man. And, and just especially knowing you know what you know about how you felt about it at the time it meant something probably different to you and me and then you see the the ultimate demise of scott wyland like you know he was he was a troubled guy and he you know over medicated and lost his life and it's just a fucking tragedy man yes and listening back to these tunes it's like oh man what a talent and it's too bad. Right, it's, right. It's, so I had that whole, like, Paul was cast over the whole thing. It was. I, I appreciated the fact that not every song was about heroin. Yeah. That was a yeah. little bit of a relief versus yeah. the Alice in Chains project. But this this Velvet Revolver project was good. And, yeah. And it was touted as a super group. And you had three, yeah. you know, primary members from GNR in there, plus Scott Weiland. That's not a bad combo. Oh, yeah. I really, I liked the sound of it. It was, there was a comfort to it. Mm-hmm. And I like I I, I bounced before, back and forth between Slither and Fall the Pieces, and that was good too. Yeah, Fall the Pieces is really a great song. Slither had a had a good a good sound to it. Maybe we'll drop a little clip in here yeah. so you can hear it. My honorable mention is Tumble in the Rough. Off of songs from the Vatican gift shop, it's not a very well-known song. It just has a cool groove. It, it's not like their other stuff. It's got kind of a poppy beat. It's kind of hard to describe. The rhythm of the drums with this chunky guitar is kind of what does it for me. Yeah. This this album was unique in the fact that it really was kind of almost avant-garde. Like They, they went into different areas that they had not traditionally gone. It, the album reminded me of Melancholy. By the that's, I was gonna, that's what I was going to say. It's very Smashing Pumpkins type, like experimental. Like the, the, a track on that on that album is "Art School Girl." Yes, I I like that too. That song always delighted me. It's great. It's just, just simple, but it's I always liked it. Yeah, no, I I like that song too. This "Tumble in the Rough" is like it's a departure from their sound without going in a really strange direction. Right. It, it's one of the few songs where Wyland wrote all of the music and the lyrics. So, huh. I did not picture him as a musician. He's got writing credits primarily for lyrics. 
and this one he did all the music on as well. But that art school girl, that's that's good too. I I, I was wrestling between that and and tumbling the rough. It's cool. It's a it's a different departure. Probably most people who know our what the songs are on our list probably haven't dove that deep into like Vatican, you know, right. that, that much. So right. th- those are cool nuggets. All right, what's your number five? Okay, number five is probably going to be a shocker because it, it might have been number one on many people's list, but um, I put plush here. I went back and forth. It's like Plush Unplugged or Plush, the, the studio version. And I listened to them both. And then I listened to their Unplugged that they did. It wasn't Unplugged. It was an impromptu that they gave. I think they were in Kensington Park in, in London. And MTV caught them, just him and DeLeo on a park bench. And they say, could you rip it off for us now? And he just, it's, it's a haunting version. It's great. It's on YouTube. You can find it. I love the studio version of this. I do too. It just it's like it just tears open a hole like that first guitar chord and it's like okay. Yeah. This is we're through the netherworld here. This is definitely a song I think of when I think of STP. Oh, absolutely. I mean this song was pouring out of dorm rooms in 1993. It's it's a banger fucking song. It's a good tune. Every bit of it too. And it's a great example of why DeLeo is such a masterful guitarist. It's, it's an example of, like, he uses chromatic scales all over the place, which is very hard to do. Now, chromatic scales, for those of you, and I don't really understand it all that much, it's, look at a piano, you have to play all of the white and the black keys in order to get a chromatic scale, right? So just, and that, that's not how scales are traditionally, no. like, built, and so that's why, like, it's really difficult to do in music, and it's difficult to do in a guitar, because those notes aren't always, like manageable on a fretboard and he does it masterfully and these first four you know he does it in the intro the verse and the chorus differently in this song it's just it's great you'll be able to hear it it just goes doom, 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 doom. it's great yeah it's great wyland said the lyrics to the song came from a story about a girl who had been kidnapped and then was later found dead quote so it gave me fuel to write the words to this song however it's not about that really it's a metaphor for a lost, obsessive relationship. Yeah. He's got a lot of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lost, obsessive relationships. Yeah. This was their only Grammy. Yeah. It's the, they're crowded out by a lot of other talent, I guess. Yeah. But it's a great song. The acoustic version on MTV Unplugged is legendary. And that actually is a legendary. Like, so November, was it November 19th, 1993 and November 20th, MTV did three tapings of their Unplugged show. They did Stone Temple Pilots. Duran Duran, and then the next day they did Nirvana. Nirvana. Which is pretty gnarly. Right. Okay, my number five is off of Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop, and it is Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart. Oh, 
This song is about Wyland's desire for redemption. I'm not dead and I'm not for sale. Yeah. Which eventually becomes the title of his autobiography. Right, they turn a vocal effect on and off between the lines and the verses, which adds this effect of having two different vocalists singing when you hear the song. And I kind of like that. That's cool. Yeah. When I saw them live, he would use a bullhorn on that part. He used awesome. the bullhorn a lot live. Awesome. And it worked. It worked. The song was actually written by the drummer, Eric Kretz. It's got a kick and bass line throughout. Does a great run-up in the choruses. The ending is cool. It just stops. It just stops dead. Yeah. And a lot of their songs do that. Okay, <laughs> this song is done. You're finished. Get out. I appreciate that. <laughs> some some songs are like four and a half minutes, and it's like a minute and a half of just the same thing going over and over until they fade it out. I'm like, I don't have time for that shit. <laughs> getting back to the Spanish peanut attention span. I don't have time for it. (laughs) I got it. All right, what's your number five? Off of Purple, Interstate Love Song. Great country and western vibe. Again, country and western. It's not. It's not necessarily grunge. It's kind of like grungy country. I love it. I love the groove. It's. Uh, it's got great lyrics. That the uh, the verse is awesome, and the the video again. The video to me is just emblazoned in my mind. I somewhere I need to find that pink ostrich feather jacket that he has with the cowboy hat riding around in his 1978 Lincoln Continental in the <laughs> desert. Just, <Right>. just cruising <laughs> to this song. Like, just he, that was like, to me, like, I saw that image and I'm like, that is so fucking cool. Yeah. To be able to pull that shit off, sing this song and just wear that shit, I love it. It's yeah. great. This is their most played song on Spotify. 257 million listens. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, jeez. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I listened to it, I like this song too. I like this a lot. This was a contender for my list as well. I was trying to figure out why this song got so many more plays than anything else they did. It's, I don't think it's as heavy as the other. Like, Plush is a heavy tune when you get down to it. It's not it's only sonically heavy, but like, you know, yeah, the with, with a dog's confinder. Right. This is more or less like a, it's like a driving song. Like, I, yeah. I always stop to listen to this song. Whenever it's on, or if I if I come cruising along in a playlist, and I'll always pop it on because it's such a great. And again, and again it stops. It's yeah. like three minutes long. It's a heavy tune. Yeah. Uh, the song is about Wyland lying to his fiance regarding his drug use while they were recording this album in Atlanta, and she was in California, hence yeah. the name Interstate Love Song. Yeah. And he's telling it from her perspective. You lied. He says that four times throughout the song. And the video plays off the theme of those lies uh, when they show the, fi- the silent film star. Right. His nose is growing like Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the play on, yeah. on the whole thing. All right. My number four is off of Purple, and it is Big Empty. Conversations 
This was actually first released for Brandon Lee's last movie, The Crow. Right. It was on the soundtrack, but they included it on this album. It was written by Dean DeLeo, the guitarist. The song's original title was Only Dying, but after Brandon Lee was killed during the filming of that movie, they changed it to The Big Empty. Yeah. It's a good move. Yeah, right? Great mix of heavy and light. It's, it's almost noodly jazzy in some parts. I don't love the opening because the slide guitar is a little fussy for me, but as soon as his vocals come in, that goes away, mm-hmm. and then you... He begins to, you know, build the vocals, and then he, he gets into the chorus, and he just pounds it. I love it. All right, I'm glad this made your list. It's because it's it's a great, great song. You know, like when they go into the verse, or in, I'm sorry, when they get into the chorus, it's like the drummer kicks his bass drum down the stairs. And boom, boom, <laughs> oh yeah, boom. it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, deep lyrics in this too. Time to take her home. Her dizzy head is conscience laden. That's cool. Song. Conversations kill theme of the song is that communicating honestly with people you care about can ruin relationships. Seems a bit evasive. A little bit. <laughs> Sounds like in keeping with the drug and the addict. Right, right. A little bit. So, okay, what you have for number four? So, going off of the core album, I really love this album. It was hard for me to pick off these first two albums specifically, but mm-hmm. um, then I just go back and forth between a couple of them, and I landed on Sin. This is in the same vein of Alice in Chains, Nine Inch Nails, heavy, you know, <laughs> down you go, sin makes yes. you stronger, you know. Again, it's like you have to be in the mood for that type of music, right? but that is one of the best like examples of one of those songs that are, right. to me, I remember that distinctly, like seeking that out, like that was next to after Dirt came off of right, the, the right. carousel that this is going on. I have a few from that album in that same vein. Mm-hmm that I agree I had a hard time wrestling which one I was going to pull off of that it wasn't this one but I also like this song a lot it's just that same driving great guitar groove yes just a great guitar groove and it's just it's driving all the way through right same same thing with like Wicked Garden and Dead and Bloated all Mm -hmm. of those songs are like that just really awesome examples of that type of music if you're down for it if you're if you're sick of listening to Dirt Core is a good place to pick up yeah (laughs) go you know right All right, my number three is off of purple, and it is Vaseline with an O. (laughs) 
I didn't realize it was misspelled. It was, it was misspelled. Is it? Okay. Yes. The O should be an E. This. So I wrestled really hard with my number three, and my number three is absolutely interchangeable with my number two. So I'm going to put that precursor out there that I actually had them reversed and said, screw it, it doesn't matter, they're completely interchangeable. So my three and two are, are on an equal plane. <laughs> Is it you? Is it me? Search for things that you can't see. Just great. The, how the lyrics fall together. According to he an was inter- really good at doing all that stuff. According to an interview, Wyland gave he when he was younger, his parents were playing "Life in the Fast Lane" by the Eagles, and he thought they were singing "Flies in the Vaseline." <laughs> it's odd how That's you know great. how you can interpret yeah. lyrics when you're a kid. You don't really know what's being said. He said, the idea of a fly being stuck in Vaseline is about being stuck in the same situation over and over again. It's about me becoming a junkie. True. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's t- that's tough. Yeah, that's you, kind of what I had figured, like, the flies in the Vaseline were. And right. It's, you know, you, it's pretty easy to pick out of that song that that's right. what he was going for. Right. Okay, that brings us to our fantasy concert lineup. Who are you going to see Stone Temple Pilots with? Okay, so I'm bringing out the big guns here. Well, they're not really big guns. But I do want to like keep the, the momentum up of this hard-driving show that we're going to be seeing here. So obviously Stone Temple Pilots is going to be our headliner. But I want to bring in uh, Slash's band with Miles Kennedy. Back to Cali, that fucker was beast. Miles Kennedy had a hell of a set of pipes. Great fucking voice, yeah. Especially enough to stand up to Slash's guitar. Right. Such a cool, um, and he's a cool looking dude. Mm -hmm. And also Buck Cherry. You ever see Buck Cherry? Yeah, they were. Aren't they the ones that sang the song about fucking me? I'm on a plane me? with cocaine? Something about fucking me. That's all I remember. Oh, I'm sure that's, that's probably <laughs> in the catalog somewhere. Yeah. Hey, you crazy bitch, but you fuck so good. I'm on top of it when I dream. I'm doing you all night. This guy's, he's got, his entire back is tattooed with the Suicide King. Oh, wow. It's fucking awesome. And he's like as slender as Wyland. I, I remember him being a fairly slight fella. <laughs> he deals with the same issues, I believe. Possible. But that's a, I, I love that that album, Get Lit Up. It's great. It's a great uh, kind of time caps. I, that's probably 96, 97 or something like that. But I interchange, because he's not going to be able to make every show. I, I just know. His sure. history, He's just he just can't, he's like a very Axl Rosey kind of guy. He's going to need a little couch time yeah right. so so we're gonna we're gonna swap in candle box when he's not available now maybe did i mean to treat you Okay. <laughs> sure. Why not? All right. I'm going to break my own rule here that we shouldn't name any band we'd seen before. 
I've seen both the bands I'm about to name, but I think they'd just be a perfect fit to this. I want to see Stone Temple Pilots with Jane's Addiction. I saw them about 10 years ago, somewhere in that neighborhood, at the Fillmore in Detroit. It's like their version of the Riviera here in Chicago. It's a really nice theater. Old great, theater. Yeah, old theater. Great place Burger, to see a concert. Dance hall. Right. Thing, yeah. Dave Navarro is a fucking rock star. I mean, this guy, I, I want to say he's probably three or four years older than you and I are. Oh, yeah. Maybe even a little more. Right. He comes out on stage wearing, like... A vest with no shirt on underneath. And the dude is ripped. I mean, he is just carved. He's got the Marlboro Red hanging out of his mouth, <laughs> nipping off of a bottle of something brown. He continued to smoke and drink throughout the whole show. And I'm looking at him fuck like, yeah. how the fuck do you pull that off? <laughs> how do you keep the physique while you're doing all that? You're older than I am. Dave Navarro is the Tom Cruise of rock stars. He's amazing. He, he's asked to do one thing. Be a fucking rock star. He does it really good. (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) He does. I also, and it's another band I've seen live, but I want to see him with The Cult. Asbury with Ian Asbury. I fucking love the cult. We have to do a separate pod of like just red ass bands that bro- broke up for no reason and can't get it back together. <laughs> oh, the cult's still together. They're touring now. There's some sort of legal battle over the name or something. That and Queensryche. Queensryche, yeah. Queensryche, they had an issue and Jeff Tate. Well, I, I've also Jeff seen Tate. Jeff Tate live and I saw Queensryche without Jeff Tate. That was a rough one. That's a rough one. Queen, Jeff Tate on his own was awesome. It was awesome. I love Queen's Right. <laughs> a tear ran down my face. <laughs> he has to play in the pink ostrich uh, jacket, though. At least one song. Wyland? Yeah. Yeah. I have to see him wiggle around in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is your number two? Number Oh, number two is off of Purple. Track is Still Remains. The song starts out with uh, you know he slides up in the chord break and he just keeps going back and forth with that. It's really really tough guitar work. I can tell you, seeing like you know 
seen different tutorials on like how to play that song it is way out of my league which is not really saying much but it's like you can see it's technical guy's got tremendous chops the interlude into the third verse when it kind of like lulls around and then it just it blows up into the into the, uh, the third verse again it's just it's just a cool song i yeah. love it it's it's about loving someone so much that you just want to be with them in the afterlife which is pretty powerful it's a positive message from a band that doesn't always sing about positive yeah. messages yeah <laughs> one of the lyrics is like take a bath and i'll drink the water as you leave that's love, baby. I would say so. <laughs> We're not doing that later. In case anyone wondered. We always bathe after each pod. You kind of have to wash yourself off after it gets we do gritty these. down here. <laughs> I like to turn the heat up to like 90. <laughs> keep Nick on his toes. Right. We all we sit in rubber suits <laughs> trying to make weight, to coach. Make weight. <laughs> Fuck. All right. My number, t- <laughs> my number two is off the album number four from 1999 and the song is sour girl Again, this was interchangeable with number three for me, but I love this tune. I think the groove of this tune is just cool. It's chill. Yeah. It's chill for a band that doesn't do a lot of necessarily chill stuff. The video was great. Sarah Michelle Galar oh, right. in, in the video, and, and she starts out like all gothy, and then she turns into good old cute blonde SMG. <laughs> SMG. <laughs> just got that. <laughs> Because of the biz, nowhere is FMG. That's right. <laughs> and if she plays in New York, she'll play MSG. Sorry. Anyhow, <laughs> Billboard ranked Sour Girl at number 88 on its list of the 100 best rock songs of the 2000s. I really like what the guitar does during the later choruses. It just kind of trills as he's singing, What Would You Do? It's about his marriage to his first wife. <laughs> she... She loves being referred to as the Sour Girl. Right. Yeah, this was the only song I think I recognized off that album. I didn't know much else off of no. number four. Yeah, number four or Shangri-La Dida. Yeah. It's like this kind of slim pickings there. Yeah, I had kind of pulled away from them, and, and I don't know why that was. Well, that was 99. 99. 2001. It's you know, like... that grunge sound and that grunge angst and anger and energy we've talked about this before it burned hot and bright Mm -hmm. and also short yeah and there was a lot of exposure to that sound and that style and maybe that was something that just didn't have an appetite for it yeah yeah, after a while you you didn't seek out like oh stone temple pilots dropped a new album it's 1999 let me go see it nah nah we i had moved on yeah i was already i was settled into a nice comfortable relationship with my now wife at that time so maybe Mm -hmm. i wasn't angsty i don't know yeah (laughs) i don't know if that's part of what drove it that's also true could be part of that but you know you just you're off off finding other you know music right right? you know i found richard ashcroft and other other artists that I'd never heard before, and I'm like, oh shit, okay, this is a, this is a completely different sound. Sure, I'm I'm down for that rather than, than this. Yeah. Okay, what's your number one? 
My number one is off of Shangri-La Di Da, because now that album is fucking 21 years old. Wow. <laughs> right? Wow. And it's uh, Days of the Week. Two and a half minutes. It starts off with it's like a punch in the face. It's nice and quick. Right? Monday, back from the dead. Like, okay, go through the days of the week. What the shit's going on in your life? And it's, it's, a, it's again, it's another failed, you know, trying to keep together a failed relationship, you know, just back and forth. But I didn't mind it. I like it. It's punchy. It's great. I love it. Yeah. I just I just like it. And I like it that they, they, they respect my time enough to get in and out, <laughs> tell me a story, and get the fuck out of my face. People listening are going to think you are just the busiest motherfucker in the world. I got a lot of time. <laughs> I really do. You have always got places to go where you can't listen to more no, than three minutes of music. No, but I just get bored with it. I'm just like, okay, all right, well, I got it. Looks like you're going to hit a third verse of this shit? Like, unless it's really, really good. Like, I'm fast forwarding. I'm sorry. That's how I consume my music. Spanish I peanuts. I, I don't sit down and pour over every little fucking thing. <laughs> sometimes sometimes that's kind of like the purpose of this podcast. I'll be quiet now. All right. My number one. You've actually already mentioned this, and maybe it'll come as a surprise to folks that it is my number one, but it is dead and bloated. I fucking love this really? song. This is your number one? My number one. So That's awesome. I'm going to save the intro for my best four seconds because the start of the song yeah. is so awesome with the bullhorn and the drums kick in and the guitar. But we'll get to that in, in coolest four seconds. When I saw them live, they played that somewhere about mid-set. And he just got onto them. Like, nothing was really happening. The crowd was kind of cheering from the last song that had happened. You see him grab the bullhorn, and he just goes into it. And they hit those first couple of drums, and bam. Like, I popped up and did the the double fist pump, because I knew those (laughs) drum hits were coming. Yeah. I love this tune. This is Stone Temple Pilots' first song, first album, right in your face. Yeah. I hope you don't like your face because we're gonna melt it right yeah. the fuck off. Yeah, no, for sure. That's and it doesn't stop either. That that album keeps on going with that intensity. Right. It's really awesome. I love that track. Yeah, it's great. Edgy bass running under everything else. I like the lyrics. I run through the world thinking about tomorrow. The title of the song is "Dead and Bloated." Dead and bloated. <laughs> and Wyland said it's not really about anything. It's just stream of consciousness words. It's more about the vibe the angst and that kind of thing he wrote a nonsense song essentially and it's great yeah it's awesome all right so what is your most hated well i mean i'm glad that you have vaseline on your list because that's my wife's favorite stone temple pilot she loves that song okay i fucking hate it really i never liked it i just never it just never got me i never got the hook i never got the groove i just didn't like it i just didn't like it i'm sorry (laughs) that's 
<laughs> That's all right. Not a fan of Pretty Penny either. Gone when you wake in the morning. Gone when you find that there's no one sleeping. Gone. Pretty Penny was her name. She was loved, and we all will miss her. How far will you go? I say. No, oh, you'll. Yeah, I, I listened to it earlier, and now I'm trying to think of how it goes, but I, we'll, we'll drop it in here. Yeah, and I'm, I also, I mean, go ahead, I've got a couple more. Uh, this one kind of befuddled me a little bit, because when I thought of STP and I thought about this song, I hadn't even heard it yet, and I was like, I think that's it. I think that's the one that I'm going to pick, and the song is The Art of Letting Go. That came out after Wyland was dead, after Chester Bennington was dead. Chester Bennington yeah. replaced Scott Wyland for a while from Lincoln Park. They had spent some time or a couple of years, a couple three years with STP, left STP amicably because he had a commitment yet with Lincoln Park, and then he died a couple of years after that. This is their third singer now, right? and he's good. Like, this song is not a bad song. His vocals are really clean. The guy's name is Jeff Gutt. G-U-T-T. It's kind of an unfortunate name. Uh, And he does a hell of a job on this song. In fact, when I thought of it and then I listened to it, I was like, yeah, you know, Wyland was was pretty clean here. And then I realized it wasn't Wyland. It was this, this other guy. My complaint with it is there's a sing-songy aspect of it that just it, it's weird it's like it's off brand it's off it, this isn't the STP I came here for right. there's a dentist office guitar solo like you are it's, it's yeah, Muzak you are sitting in the chair <laughs> getting drilled STP's other ballad songs weren't bad but anyhow yeah I wasn't a big fan of their remake of Dancing Days That's not one of my favorite Zeppelin tunes. No, I'm with you. But I'm just like, that's not the Zeppelin song we needed a remake of. And they've done, <laughs> you know? they've done other remakes, oh, and they've, them, yeah. they've done them pretty darn well. Yeah. I thought that one was, it was a little too close to the original, which that's I guess that's what it was. That would be my criticism of it. Yeah, like, they're going to remake it. Like, yeah, Stone your, Temple Pilots right, it up. Let's put go. your STP into it. Don't right. don't do what they did. They already did it. They already made it what it yeah, was. Yeah, I guess that's my big, biggest complaint. I was just like, this doesn't. None of this works for me. But it's because it's the same fucking song. I just go yeah. listen to the original. Yeah, you didn't do anything different. You didn't, you know, play in a different you know sandbox with that song. Right, which right. It's kind of like the purpose of doing transform it. it. Yeah, make it yours. Coolest four seconds. We named a lot of mine. 
the intro or the uh, the the uh, chorus intro to Big Empty when he just like the tumbling drums and everything like that and he strikes that uh, high note in his lyrics it's really great. The intro to Sour Girl has always been a favorite of mine. It I like that. It's a really groove. Mm-hmm. really cool. Lays it out kind of easy and early. Yeah, and Slither's intro too. He's yelping around. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. I love that. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. I'll throw in the uh, opening to Dead and Bloated since I've already referenced it. So much energy to see that live sure. and I remember putting that CD in the first time I got it and that's the first song that pops and you're yeah, like oh yeah. shit like the bullhorn I am you know smelling like a <laughs> like, and you're like okay this is different than ten, right. or like you know it's just like and then they, they melt your face off as you said it's, right yeah it's really cool man. I also had the chorus from Cracker Man mm-hmm likes the board mm-hmm. all right so i like uh i'm sorry with we'll just one more wicked gardens uh, he's got a different his sound his guitar sounds different on this track in particular and it's like kind of like more of a syrupy but a heavy crunch on it. It's really cool sounding, and it's it's a, that's another Wicked Garden. It's another fucking great tune. That's the first song I made a video for. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Have I all, seen that? Probably not. So I took some video. It's like this. We're talking about ninety four, right? Or ninety three? Probably. Are you wearing pants? Ninety three? No, 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 no. I I You're took not wearing pants. I took, <laughs> no, I was never wearing pants when I was editing ever. <laughs> But it was all in-camera editing. It was really difficult to do. I was like, this, I took a video footage of us. We were in a basketball turn, uh, basketball league. Okay. Pick up basketball league in, in Lagrange, and uh, and and so I I broke my ankle 
halfway through the season, so I had this new video recorder. And so nothing I was, to do. I had nothing to do, so I was like, hey, you should come out and record all of our basketball games. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So I did, and I had all this footage, and I'm like, oh, okay, so I can do some stuff with this. And I, I was able to like figure out a way to put the, the music in, but I'd have to edit it in camera. It was a pain in the ass. But it, it turned out pretty good, and Wicked Garden was the track that I used. Yeah, I like that, too. Yeah, it's cool. Sisters of Mercy. Do you want more? No, I don't think so. I, yeah. I I think I've outgrown these guys. It's cool to look back on them, but nah. It was a fun trek. Uh, I did hear a couple of things that I, that I might have... I think I've added one or two. But yeah, it, for the most part, this music is, is from my past, mm-hmm. not my future. Yeah. A couple of notable covers here. We just talked about some of them, that, and the fact that STP has done, you know, some some covers of their own. Wyland did the vocals for a version of the song "Time of the Season" by the Zombies, and he did it with a group called Big Blue Missile. for the second Austin Powers film in 1999. It's a really cool group to it. I'd never heard it before. I don't think I've seen the movie, so it's probably why I haven't heard the song, I guess. I don't know. He sounds a lot like Bowie in this song. And I couldn't find anything else on this big blue missile, so I have a feeling it was like a studio exec saying, I want Wyland somewhere in this soundtrack, so put together a studio band and okay. you know, yeah. write a track or, or copy a track or, or he rewrite owes us a some track. contract. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Put him in the studio. Yeah, he, 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 yeah right. <laughs> and then Stone Temple Pilots did Break On Through. For a Doors tribute album from 2000 called Stoned Immaculate. And it's fucking incredible. Really? Oh, okay. I fucking loved it. I'll have to look at it. it. The album is on Spotify, but the song is not included in the track, so there must be some sort of contractual dispute. I don't know what the reason is that Spotify doesn't carry it. I'm kind of pissed because that's how I manage all my music. Uh, the verses are kind of funked up. It's got really heavy, crunchy choruses. It has their prints just all over it. It's a lot better than the recording of Wyland doing this with the with, actual doors. With the doors. actual doors, yeah. <laughs> right. That says a lot. <laughs> all right, Cars question. Did they move music forward? Well, let's see here. No, I can't say that they did, unfortunately. I wrestled with this as well. Purple moved them forward in a different direction, but I don't think anybody... That wall had already been kind of broken Smashing down. Smashing Pumpkins kind of took care of that. Smashing Pumpkins yeah. did it, and you know the, the cascade of bands that followed very shortly after yeah. Gish, they kind of broke through that. And these guys, while they had their own sound... yeah. I don't know that they necessarily advanced. I put them music. in the same level as the 
the, you know the, the the Mount Rushmore of the grunge era, right? The Pearl Jams, the the Soundgardens, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, and and some type of pilots, right? They're not a copycat. That's I'm not no. going to hit them with that. That they took a lot of shit for that, and I think that probably added to his you know pressures and senses of like I'm sure sense right. of guy. And it's like this is your life's work. It's very successful commercially, but you still have you know the critics in the critic universe so shitting all over right. you. And it's like, man, that's got to be tough to take. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I they relate to the party. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. Did they right. create their own sound? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Purple was a great example of that. Sure. And that's why, like, Interstate Love Song, Big Empty, and those songs that came off Meat Plow. Love that song. <laughs> Meat Plow. Uh, <laughs> I, saw, I saw that title, and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, they're great songs. That's man. great. Uh, so, But no, I don't think they moved it forward. Yeah. Who's your MVP here? So last time we, this uh, for Alice in Change, we gave the MVP, unfortunately, to Heroin. Right. I didn't see that here. I didn't either. I didn't see that type of influence here. I think that it was he was a really troubled character. But certainly affected by by that. Yeah. The difference between Wyland and STP and Staley and Alice in Chains is Alice in Chains made it their mission to sing and write. That was the about subject about heroin. Yeah. That was the subject. Right. I mean, all of them were a part of it. Right. And all of them were on it. I mean, it was And just, I think yeah. that, that that's the difference in STP. Like I said, I don't think that the other guys suffered from those those afflictions. So I'm going to give the MVP to the brothers. That's the musical backbone. And they're, they're the ones that come up with the, uh, you know, the sounds and the stylings of, of these songs. Right, right. Which are great. I, so I have Wyland as the MVP because he is one of... Arguably the three voices of this entire movement, and nobody has really sounded like him since. And the ones that have, he broke the mold on on that. And I also have Dean DeLeo and Robert DeLeo getting a super strong honorable mention where they just, you know, Wyland beat him by a nose getting over that line to get the MVP. Rankings, how do you rank these guys? Well, their catalog is, um, you know, if they, if they retired after two albums, I would give them a five on their catalog. Right. But, you know, they just continued to try to, well, for whatever reason, their last couple of albums for me didn't go very well. So I have their catalog at like a, a 275. Okay. I put their catalog at a three and a quarter because I like that first album so much. Yeah. And there are well, the some... The batting average on the first two albums is... It's huge. Yeah. Right, right. I think their coolness factor is up there like a four and a half because they're carried by such a charismatic front man. He was cool as hell. Cool as hell. Yeah. He was a unique cat. Yeah. Had his own sound, had his own style. And the rest of the band looked cool behind him. Robert DeLeo was always wearing aviators when he played the bass. (laughs) Uh, Talent, I. So I gave these guys a four and a half for image, and for talent, I gave them a 4.4. I think their musical skills are pretty up there. Yeah, I got their talent at a four and a quarter, too. So it's, yeah, they're, they're pretty talented musically. Um, so yeah, no, this was this was a nice little walk down memory lane. But again, it's like if if you hear me listening to Allison Change and Stone Temple Pilots, like check in with me. <laughs> something is Nick. How's the marriage going? <laughs> something is 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 uh, skewed. <laughs> All right, that wraps it up for this episode of the Idiots. Hey, if you liked what you heard, go ahead and share us. Somebody's doing that for us right now, and and that was great. Uh, if you haven't rated us yet, please do so. Leave us a comment. Leave us a whatever. The ratings and comments help a great deal. They do. They keep it going for us because yeah. otherwise it's just kind of numbers that we see. And some some weeks those numbers are better than others. So it, it does you know, 
we're doing this for the fun of it, and uh, it, it gives us some energy to keep going. So please give us some feedback. We're harvesting all of your addresses, and we're going to be sending bills out at the end of the year. That's the pl- <laughs> we shouldn't have talked about that. No, shh. Oh, sh- Ixnay on the Ills Bay. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Okay. Bye.